you are tuned in to the Story Behind the Business podcast, my name is Leyland Diano, and I'm here with my co-host, Adam Bessie. You didn't do it. (laughs) And Joel McDonald. So we have spent um, the better part of April talking to different leaders in different industries, and this is an industry we haven't talked about yet. I'm very interested to hear about it, and that is uh, charities and how they're making out. So today on the podcast, we have the Executive Director of Hope International Development Agency, Kim Savage. Hi. Hi, Kim. Welcome. Thank you. Maybe we could start, and for our listeners and our, our viewers, you can just tell us a little bit about what is the Hope International Development Agency, what is you guys do, and then we can dive into it. Sure. So Hope International Development Agency is an organization dedicated to working within communities and villages that are facing extreme poverty. So we delineate that by basically um, households making less than a dollar a day. So you can imagine what that extreme poverty looks like. And we have three targeted interventions specifically that we really work on. One is clean water. So installing clean water systems in villages. Uh, Second one is any sort of income generation whether it's self-help groups for women, um, agricultural farming, something like that. Or, uh, and the third pillar that we really work on is food security um, and really working on that through a sustainable model. So uh, getting villages and families growing their own food, those sorts of things. So those are the three main areas that we work on, a little bit in education, but those, those are the three pillars that we really focus on. Yeah. And I, so just so everybody is clear, uh, we've worked with uh, Kim and Hope International Development Agency over the last, uh, I would say, 15 or so years. I know Andrew, um, who heads up the Westland Group, um, as well as is the owner of our agency. He's been working with um, Hope International Development Agency on a lot of the clean water initiatives in Cambodia. So we've done I had the pleasure of directing a documentary a few years ago that we produced as well. This past uh, November, we went out to India and then Nepal and, and we actually had time with Kim and the team out in Nepal to, to look at the new area that they're, they're going to be sending funds and relief into. So um, I had a quick question, obviously, well, maybe it's not a quick question because it's uh, it's a pretty big impact during this whole COVID crisis a big primary uh, function for your guys' organization is to A, go onto the ground and see you know, where the impact is actually happening. So one, with the travel bans in place, how is that affecting your guys' operation and what are you looking at to adjust that? And then furthermore, a lot of your fundraising comes from uh, having fundraising events and galas to raise money um, so I'm obviously, I'd love you to jump in and let us know how, how you guys are doing right now. Sure. So with regards to like all of the travel bans and, um, everybody and all the stay home pieces and all of the, uh, different sort of lockdowns that are happening throughout the world, really, um, one of the things that we have really relied on, and it's actually forced us to go back to our values as an organization is we are relationally driven and we are very partner centric um, and we trust our partners a lot. So one of the things that we identified early is facilitating our partners um, really even more so than we already were freeing them up to do the work of hope. Um, They already drive a lot of the decisions and agenda of the countries that we're working in. 
And so this was an, actually an opportunity to say, you know what, you guys do what you need to do. So a number of our partners, including Nepal, um, we've, we've empowered them to actually really pivot their programming and their plans to address um, some of the emergency needs that they're facing, as well as planning for a post-COVID future. And so that definitely means they've changed a few things. Um, some of it, some of the work we're doing right now is a little bit more relief driven in terms of making sure people actually have food and, and shelter and those sorts of things, um, and a little less on true development. Um, but again, really empowering our partners was really key to that. Um, the second part of your question around the fundraising events and, and fundraising is we have and again, this is actually really a great opportunity where we as an organization got back to our values and we have really strong relationships with our donors. And so we actually did the good old fashioned phone tree. So the minute we had to cancel our dinners, we were getting on the phone with our donors to say, hey, we know this is a crappy time to ask for money, but we still need your support. And the tremendous um, outpouring of care and compassion from our donors to try and do something uh, really blew me away. It actually brought me to tears a few times because giving right now is a sacrifice. It's not easy. You know, you're, you're kind of hoping things are going to be okay when you're giving right now. And uh, I was really blown away. But that, that piece about doubling down on our values was really crucial on both those aspects right now. You answered uh, my question. I was going to ask about um, about how wh how donations were looking right now. Um, so I'm going to ask my second question, which is: <laughs> we we obviously because we were over there and we, we we had the opportunity to see the environment, which was you know I think we all came back with a new perspective. Like you can watch it online, but seeing it, there was there's there's just so many stories. You know, I tell the story of uh, the kids playing in the village in India all the time to my son because they were playing just like he does here except they were like over this giant hole in the ground. Um, but um, we, we've been paying attention to kind of what's going on over there, you know, whether it's just, you know, videos getting sent from the people we were, we interacted with. And there's been a lot of things happening, like whether it was like pr police brutality or just very stern um, policies happening. Has that made it difficult to still be able to implement this funding, like, or, or and and make sure, may have an impact there, knowing that there's the it's now it's really difficult for people to even interact with each other over there. Yeah. So thankfully, um, most of our partners have been deemed an essential service. So while individual community members um, might be facing some of what you were talking about around the the consequences or the realities of living in lockdown and and really trying to flatten the curve um, to use a nicer version of that. Um, thankfully, our partners, though, were deemed an essential service. So, you know, in Nepal, uh, they've had to get a little creative on how they get support up to some of those villages because you all probably remember those, you know, three and four hour rides that we got to take on some pretty creative roads. Um, mm -hmm. So they've had to get a bit creative in terms of how they deploy those resources. And there's almost like drop points where they can go so far and then the next village can go so far and they're kind of, you know, tag teaming it bit like a relay race. Um, there, there's definitely a bit of that going on. But thankfully, so far, um, all the work we do has been considered an essential service because really people are at kind of life and death without our work. So 
um, that part we've been grateful for, but it definitely hasn't made our job easier. I don't want to sugarcoat that part. You know, there is a lot of sort of drop and relay and those sorts of things. And, um, and for some of the countries, it has slowed, you know, for example, water installations, water system installations, those, some of them in some countries have to be on pause because the expertise and the, and the actual equipment and all that kind of stuff can't get there right now. So that's, a, that's unfortunate, but we push on. Kim, I'm curious um, back to sort of the, the fundraising aspect of it and yeah. about, I'm just curious if the way people give is changing right now. And, and I, like I hear everywhere support local and, and there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of really neat initiatives that people are doing to support people in their local communities. Um, I'm just curious, are people giving differently and have you guys had to adjust to that? Um, I would say, uh, I would answer that yes and yes. So yes, in the sense of people are more focused in what's happening in their own backyard, in their own community, in their own country right now. There's a little bit more of an emphasis on that. And that is completely understandable. I mean, everybody, most of us have have worries and concerns and all of those sorts of things. So that's completely understandable. Um, and it has certainly affected the, the value of contributions. You know, generally when people give, they want to feel good and they want to feel good about the world and all of those sorts of things. So asking somebody for money right now, you're asking them when they're already feeling pretty tentative and nervous. So overall, absolutely donations are down. Um, but there's also some supports, you know, through the federal government and that sort of thing that's helping us weather the storm. And there's also things that we can do internally to help us weather the storm as well. So we're working on those things as well. I'm curious, is there stuff that, you know, as you, as you, as your team and even yourself are experiencing this shift, are there things that you're looking at now as an organization that you're going to adjust moving forward um, in terms of like marketing and just even, you know, donor outreach? Yeah. So one of the things, um, so one of the, one of the vulnerabilities and Adam, I actually think we talked about this when we were sitting in Nepal, uh, having a beer, I think, um, is that we really needed to focus in 2020 on reaching out to new people and talking to new spheres of influence and all of that sort of thing. So that hasn't changed COVID or no COVID that hasn't changed. So we're really upping some of the stuff we're doing around some digital marketing around, you know, building on lookalike audiences of donors that we already have. We're also going through this whole brand identity. I'm calling it the identity project because everybody's mind shut down when you call it a branding exercise, but it's a lot deeper than that. And really doing some of that internal work um, to really pivot us better and strengthen our internal capacity as we move forward in a post-COVID reality. Because at the end of the day, we still needed new donors pre or post-COVID and that's still the case. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel and I do remember the conversation that we we're having and not to always sound like I'm trying to jump in and I'm always just interested in and fascinated with people's business and marketing um, approach to things. And yeah. um, even before this conversation, Joel and I were just, you know, saying, no, I'm, we haven't even thought about until you mentioned, hey, let's let's chat. I mean, we haven't even thought about talking about charities and, and seeing how they're being impacted. But yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm also just curious in terms of like, as you guys are going through this branding exercise, no, I don't want to call it a, a branding. I know. Uh, the, the identity project, Adam. <laughs> um, the identity project. Like um, 
what are like, are, is there certain constraints that as a charitable organization that you're kind of, uh, you have to work within in terms of marketing things that you can't say or, or you can't approach it or is it uh, pretty open and, and you can approach people however you like? Yeah. I mean, I would say, I would say there is a calibration to messaging. I mean, I think, I think charities are less inclined unless you're a, you know, a certain type of charity. Um, you definitely want to be, you know, pun and no pun intended, a little bit more hopeful in your message um, and a little bit more positive and all of that sort of thing. Um, so we don't tend to go for like shock value stuff, but I think the, the key piece around marketing as a charity is to really know, know who you are and know who your audience is, you know, that there, you can't just go after Joe public, like right now or Joan public, like right now we're actually going through the process of, of naming what our ideal donor looks like. Ironically, she's about my age. She's about 45. (laughs) She's female. (laughs) And anyways, it's, it's, but it's fascinating to sort of go through that process because it gives a lot of clarity um, to what you want to be doing and what channels you want to be on and all of those sorts of things. Awesome. Um, I want to ask you, it's a little bit of a controversial subject. Um, we had some discussion about it. I think when we were over there, when you, when, you know, it was my first opportunity to really see a charity actually executing on, on funds. Um, because there's a lot of perspective out there that sometimes when you donate to a charity, it doesn't actually make it to the ground. Um, do you, what is kind of your opinion on that and, and that perspective of, of people having that? Um, I mean, now I, I can say, we wouldn't probably, Andrew probably wouldn't be working with you for this long if he didn't think his money was actually getting to the, to the, the people that needed it. But um, is, like, is that really a thing that's, that's, that's people should worry about uh, when they're donating money or is it kind of just uh, a null issue? Oh, no, it's, it's an issue. And I would say if between uh, conservatively 75 cents to 90 cents of every part of your dollar is not going directly into programming. Um, having been in nonprofit management a long time, that would be a red flag for me. Um, to, to, run a, to run a nonprofit with less than 10% of contributions being reinvested into the organization and working on the project delivery piece and all of that sort of thing, that would equally be a red flag. But people need to have confidence that their dollars are being spent where they're meant to be going. And a huge piece of that is transparency. And so, yeah, if somebody was to come at me and say, oh, well, only 50 cents on every dollar is going, say, overseas, I'd be like, ooh, you sure you want to be contributing there? But, you know, that's, it's not for me to comment on how other organizations do it. But the general rule of thumb is kind of the 80, 20, 25, 75, 90, 10. And if you can get any of any combination on that range, you're pretty, you're pretty good. Just to top up on that, Kim, I heard a great speaker a little while ago and he was talking about charity and he brought up that point and he said, the two reasons that people don't give to charity is number one, they're concerned with how much of their actual dollars will actually make it to the charity. And number two was they wanted to know exactly what their money was being spent on. And when people found, okay, I know my charity bought that that, um, well in Cambodia, um, and it produced that much water, they, they felt better about it and they, and they gave more. 
And I'm curious about the validity of that. You said yes, so I'm assuming that you, you agreed. And then what are some things that I guess um, Hope does in order to, I guess, have people understand where the money is when you, develop, when you um, donate it? Yeah, so this is, this is something that I'm consistently pushing our team to get better at because there's a, there's a balance between how long transparency and, and how much effort um, transparency and reporting out to the donor takes versus the benefit. So when we are working on programming, we are trying to create structures where whatever our program department is getting back, we can easily actually pass that on to our donors so that that line where dollar, what dollars were raised for versus where it went can be very straight. Um, it tends to be treated in aggregate unless it's a really large donor, but, but we like to be able to say this is, you know, in, in 2019, you know, this many of you gave to uh, water in Cambodia and this is how many wells were installed and, and all of that sort of thing because that transparency piece is huge and it's not going away. It's actually ever on the uptick and on the increase. And, um, and I actually think it's the responsibility um, of the charity to really be doing a good job of that. So. No, you go ahead, Joel. Cause I, mine, mine is uh, deriving away from or deviating or. Well, so is mine because I feel like I want to ask this question because it sounds like you guys all traveled the world together. Um, and I've never met Kim before. And I was curious just Kim, what your background is and how you got into uh, your position with the Hope International Development Agency. Yeah. So I, uh, I've been with Hope now for about a year and I went through the, I'm, I've said this to everybody, I went through the longest candidating process for that role ever. It was about eight months long, uh, almost like having a baby. Um, and so I've been, but my, most of my career has been spent in nonprofit management. Uh, when I was in my early twenties, I started at Union Gospel Mission and have never really turned back from, from working in different nonprofits. And I was actually completely cold to hope. Uh, I didn't know them. I had heard about them a little bit over the last couple of years. Um, but when the opportunity came up, I was pretty happy to be joining the team. So it was really great. Um, and I, so my, and it's funny that Joel asked that one because my question is somewhat similar. When we went to uh, Nepal, um, that was one of your first trips with Hope, right? Not one of my first, the first. The first trip. So, yes. since, so since, since that trip, uh, have you, I know you went, I forget where you went after that, but maybe you can kind of talk about um, in general, was that your first overseas trip? And how does that differ from your, your previous work? Yeah, so most of my, most of my previous work was with uh, marginalized communities within Canada. So like homelessness, addiction, mental health, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, post, like since being with Hope, uh, there's been Nepal, there's been Myanmar, there has been Ethiopia in February. And I had already just individually and personally traveled a lot, uh, but traveling with Hope is a little different. As you, you and Leland might remember, living living in a village for a few days that's a that's a different ballgame. That's not at a hotel and those kind of things. Not even a hostel. Um, and it's been a really fascinating experience to to really actually spend time with and develop an incredible to move your care 
theoretical into a very personal focused way of, of real people and real faces and real families and that sort of thing. Well, and that's one of the things that I loved about the work that we did with hope. It's, it's one thing to see material and where, or like see marketing material or images or watch videos. And yes, you can feel compassionate, but when you're, when you're there, with them trying to live in the same environment that they are and mm-hmm. give a sense of understanding of their environment. It, it totally transcends any type of um, video or image. So I guess like as a filmmaker in that regards, trying to capture that same type of emotion was very helpful for me as well as it just mm-hmm. put this really burning passion and wanting to help people out, help these totally. people that I've never met before. So, I mean, that, yeah. I wouldn't have had that experience without working with Hope in, in this regards or Andrew and the Westland group. So um, that's not a question, Leyland. You can go ahead and ask your question. I, that I, was a statement I was going to I was say. actually just about to say a similar thing where it was, and Joel, we're kind of leaving you out, but maybe you can go to the next one. I'll just pretend <laughs> like I was you can take You can take my place. Um, Joel gets to come one. next time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just going to reiterate that. It was, I was, uh, it was just life-changing because you don't, realize as we're all squabbling on Facebook about things, about our first world problems that how these people are actually living and, and many of them happy um, and just working hard. But one thing that surprised me when we were over there was the, the use of smartphones. Like yeah. everyone has a smartphone there. Like they're, they're a little out of date, but you know, not a computer, not, not much in terms of newer technology. There was no Google homes uh, telling them that, that to remind them of, a, of an appointment, but they, a lot of them had smartphones. I thought that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, I didn't have a question. I just wanted to, to jump well, in and give my opinion on that. Okay. I, I, I was going to say, um, and just to kind of shift it into, and I know we're going to wrap up here soon. So I, I'm just very curious. So we talked a little bit about fundraisers. What is your, what have you guys been doing preliminary plans in, in upcoming fundraising events? Are you doing virtual fundraisers? How are you, looking at approaching your donor community because obviously picking up the phone and calling them is one thing, but get, getting people together is, is, is where the real magic happens in, in these uh, gala events to raise, you know, a lot of money. So just curious what the future looks like in terms of, uh, of Hope International Development Agency and possibly what other charitable organizations are going to have to do as well in the future. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you an idea that we have that we're gonna work on running with, and I'm gonna hope that not too many other people pick it up because, for to our mind, it's actually a really good idea. So, one of the ones because we had to cancel so many dinners, there was about seven that we had to cancel this spring. Uh, we are actually looking at in the summer when we can a little bit gather, but people are still really tentative um, of doing some drive-ins with some food trucks and some, you know, where you can kind of be together, but not too close together and, right. uh, and, and talk about hope and get people together and, and maybe string a couple of our films all together and, and that sort of thing and do it as an alternate fundraiser. Um, and we'll, we'll see how that has merit. Um, one of the other things we do in the spring is a couple runs. And so we're doing like many other charities are doing, um, taking those virtual and, and working on that piece. Um, and then the third one is we just are in the middle of actually doing an online auction, which is super fun. It raised, uh, it's almost raised $30,000 in 24 oh, wow. hours, which is pretty incredible. Huge. 
it's fantastic. It, kind of the success of it has blown us away and so much so that we're scrambling to add some more items to it because there's, it's kind of at saturation right now. But um, so we're working on all of that. But I think the, the bigger message there is it's actually really forced us to innovate and think outside the box and um, accelerate doing some new things that we wouldn't have necessarily chose for ourselves that aren't all bad, you know, like we're, we're, we are learning so much and that is never a bad thing and really building our capacity internally um, to make us stronger as we move forward. That's really cool, Kim, that you guys are, I mean, I know, you know, this is a terrible thing that's happening, but what's happening to some businesses is having to think outside the box. And it's kind of cool seeing what people are coming up with and how they're pivoting is, it's really fascinating. Now I've asked every person we've had a podcast with this question and I'm really looking forward to your answer because you have quite a background of working in very stressful situations. It sounds like with some of the people and, and things you've done. And one of my questions to people is just, in this really difficult time, how are you coping personally with your you know, mental health, with your ability to stay positive, to stay energized? What are, what are some things you do personally in these strange times we're in? Uh, so, there's, so there's two things, two big things that I do. One is uh, I have doubled down on the amount I exercise because being in nature and going for runs or walks or getting sweaty and all that kind of stuff has, is always a good thing for me. So that's the big one. Um, the other one, being a huge extrovert and loving to be around people. So as you can imagine, working from home kills me and my soul a little bit every day uh, is to really prioritize um, some time with uh, some girlfriends and friendships. Uh, we have this Friday night Zoom time, Zoom wine time, which mm-hmm. just to be clear is not the same, but it's better than nothing. <laughs> so, so working on that. And um, those are, those are the two big ones. Uh, there's lots of other ones, but I would say those are the two big ones. Right on. Well, Kim, you've been uh, such a pleasure to talk to today. Um, I guess uh, the viewers will also see how positive you are. Uh, and that's very encouraging during this time. Um, what's some of the best ways that people can, uh, contact hope if they want to get involved with the, uh, the online auctions or anything that Mm -hmm. hope development international agency is doing right now. Like what's, what's the best way to check out what's going on? Yeah. I mean, they can, they can check out our URL at hope-international.com and they can check out all our social handles. We're on all of those ones and we're, uh, we're pretty up to date on what's going on. So it's pretty easy. Just, you know, type it in the Google and it'll, uh, it'll come up. <laughs> but we'll, if you we'll, see the one for Pennsylvania, that's not us. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll, we'll put the proper one in the show notes yeah. so that people can get a hold of you. But uh, from everybody here at story behind the business, we want to say thank you so much for, yeah, thank you for yes, being involved with us. Uh, thanks everybody. Thanks everybody.